This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Welcome to Magpies Unrestricted. Hello ladies and gents and welcome to Magpies Unrestricted, where we'll be talking all things Newcastle United. I'm your host Chris Simpson and joining me as always is Cara Thistlethwaite. Hello. And we're joining you after a predictable 4-1 <laughs> defeat at Old Trafford to Man United. Two goals for Ronaldo on his debut. I mean, to be honest, you'd barely know Newcastle were actually playing considering the attention that his debut got. Oh, That was yeah. to, to be expected. But... I mean, I think it was a shame that it wasn't on telly though. It would have been a nice one for both sets of fans, really, to watch. Especially because it always seems to be quite a good match between Newcastle and Man United. There's, I mean, probably mainly for Man United these days, but <laughs> there's always seems to be action-packed. And it, and it was, didn't really disappoint this time either. It's just a shame that you've obviously on your third goalkeeper at the moment because Woodman is, is decent, but there were definitely two of those goals shouldn't have gone in. Being yeah. nutmegged... Should never happen, really, for a keeper not from that distance, and then not failing to control the ball on, on for Ronaldo's first goal. And this now obviously sounds like I'm proper dumping on Ronaldo. I mean, I, I quite happily do that, but they weren't his best shots ever. And I think Woodman could have done better. It was just luck. Yeah, I mean, just first of all, on the sort of issue about it not being on the TV. I think it is a little unusual for a Man United Newcastle game. Yeah, even not before be Ronaldo being announced for, for Man U. Obviously, because it hadn't been selected for broadcast, then you know by the time it was clear that actually Ronaldo had joined, it was too late for them to change it by that point uh, because they would have had to rearrange the kickoff at pretty last minute and I think that would have screwed the fans so in that sense I'm glad that they didn't no I don't think it should have been as, changed as for I whether the original we, decision as for whether we still have this 3pm blackout I suppose is a slightly separate debate one that of course has oh. read its head uh, in recent weeks mainly because of this match and and we know they can do it I mean in lockdown that was great being able to watch every single match and I'm getting a little bit annoyed because it's always the same teams that get shown, really, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I to be honest, I know I can't be bothered really getting into no, I'm the, not saying we into it, but black three pm blackout debate too much. I'm, I'm sort of in two minds on that issue because on the one hand, I 100% get the intention to protect the lower league clubs because Lord knows they don't get much of that when it comes to the Premier League, and they don't get shown anyway. What is it protecting? Because the, the whole, the entire principle and idea behind it is that if you can go, if you can just watch Man United on telly at three o'clock on a Saturday, you're not going to go and watch Yeovil Town, yeah, uh, in person and give and give the club money. So I I'm in two minds because on the one hand it feels very outdated and more than a little strange that we're the only country in the world that can't watch games, all of the Premier League games broadcast even when they're being played in our own country. But if you were in Spain or America or Australia, any other country in the world, 
you can literally watch every single game because they're all televised. Yeah, but so that's quite is, weird. I think the thing is, is if you go back to your example of Yeovil Town, I mean, and I mean no offence to Yeovil Town, but who other than Yeovil Town supporters and their opposition are going to watch Yeovil Town? I mean, if I was a, a Yeovilian, I would go and watch their match over watching Newcastle on the on the telly because that's my team. Being a Leicester supporter, I still probably wouldn't go and see Yeovil Town even if there was nothing on at three o'clock, because they're not my team. Yeah, as I say, I think it's possibly a little outdated, but I'm not sure what the solution is. But back to the actual game, because that's really what we're here to talk about. Um, I was giving you some breathing room. No, we have to get it. <laughs> Let's rip the plaster off. <laughs> as you say, first goal. It shouldn't have been a goal. Woodman's got to do better there. Yes, he wasn't done any favours by the deflection of course but even so, on it. even so he should have been able to control it and can instead obviously spills it straight at Ronaldo's feet obviously good instincts from Ronaldo to be in that right position you know those sort of instincts he isn't going to lose even as he gets older and, and loses um, yeah some of his sort of pace and, and physicality not that he seems to have actually lost much of it based on Saturday's performance but yeah, uh, I think if, if Dubravka plays, maybe it's a different story because I think he deals with that and then I think he's less likely to be beaten between his legs for the second goal. Yeah, that that was poor as well, especially after your, your excellent equaliser. Uh, the play from Almiron was, was brilliant. His pass was excellent and San Maximan's reactions to pass then to the Manquillo. That's what you want to see from your uh, right back. I have to say I'm a huge fan of that goal. I think it was great. It was a game, as I said, a couple of uh, Freddie Woodman mistakes aside for Ronaldo's. It was a game actually with a bunch of good goals in it. And honestly, as a counter-attacking goal, I mean, very sort of direct, but yeah, the way Almiron turns and then beats the other man and then to pick out Sam Maximan, just chef's kiss. And then, yep, just calm assist from San Maximan, just does what he needs to do, offloads it to Manquillo. And yet Manquillo absolutely slotting it into the corner. Great to see. But I mean, even when the even when the goal went in, I wasn't confident that we would get anything from the game. I mean, literally six minutes later, Ronaldo gets his second. And from then on, I knew that we weren't going to get level again. Yeah, again, that, that second goal just kind of take the wind out of your sails a little bit there, didn't it? As soon as Newcastle got that equaliser, and then, and then to, for it to be completely written off again, I think there was such a high tempo that just just that moment of hesitation from their Newcastle defence just then meant it, it was just open then, and, and then it was just constant pressure. Yeah, and then you know built a little bit of a collapse at the end, which unfortunately I think probably you know doesn't necessarily reflect that we actually played fairly well, relatively speaking, for that first hour. And then, yeah, I mean, obviously, top top tier strike from Bruno Fernandez. From Newcastle point of view, I mean, you can't fault Fernandez's strike. Think closing. Yeah, not a single player closes him down, puts him under any sort of pressure. And if you let a player, I mean, any player, but especially a player of Bruno Fernandez's ability, have free reign shooting from that distance, well, it's no surprise when they bury it in the back of the net. And then after a well-worked goal as well for Jesse Lingard's, you know, great little bit of movement from Pogba and, and even Martial actually, who's, you know, had a, a bit of a 
difficult time at Old Trafford, I think, the last couple of years. But actually, great instincts for him to sort of leave that ball from Pogba to Wingard. And then, yeah, Wingard sold the defender and, you know, and curled in great goal. But But we know that's what Lingard can do. And I I think, obviously, the, the... Boosting confidence that they had after take after going well, being pulled back level by Newcastle, then gaining it again, and that's what Lingard does. Though he lives off that type of pressure anyway. And then with with Man United playing so well, he just made it look too easy. Yeah, as I say, I think uh, for you know, I think the way we we played in that first hour, I think four one is a bit harsh, but it ultimately it's predictable, and it's a symptom of the fact that. Again, I mean, don't get me wrong, we were against Man United. They have significantly better players than us, and that was quite clearly apparent. But, you know, it's a symptom of also our sort of inability to defend anymore. And that's now 12 goals conceded in four games at the start of the season. We've got one point. Um, I believe, I saw on Twitter, that it's our joint worst start since 1934. Were there even leagues? <laughs> yeah, no, I know there were. <laughs> well, but I still reckon in 1934 you'll finish better than you will this season at this rate. You know, I have to say, I don't know how we finished that season. We may have gone down. I have no idea. But we may well do this season. We look at you as the historian. <laughs> and of course, after the game, Steve Bruce oh. turning on the Newcastle Chronicle uh, in his post-match presser. Of course, when he was asked uh, a question, which actually the fans had, the uh, Lee Ryder, the Chronicle reporter, he was essentially actually just relaying the question from fans that had been submitted on social media, uh, basically asking Steve Bruce whether it was the best idea for him to have gone on holiday to Portugal during the international break. Uh, And he basically then turned around and blamed the newspaper for us fans being negative towards him. In fact, he said, to have to answer questions like that is typical uh, to the question I would get off you and your newspaper. If I'm being brutally honest, that's why they, i.e. the fans, are the way they are, the way you are in your negativity in your newspaper. I mean, come on, I think the stats speak for themselves. And and I'm still talking about the stats and the pure stripped-down numbers of the game. Look at where Newcastle were. Look at where they are now. Yeah, well, I have to say, I find actually that quite insulting, both as a fan and as a journalist, because at the end of the day, the Chronicle, they're not the ones on the pitch. They're not the ones not signing anyone. They're not the ones who can't organise a defence. And as a fan, I'm sorry, Steve, but the reason that we're being very negative towards you is because we've got eyes and we can see the crap football that has been on display. We've got ears and we can hear this crap that you come out with in your press conferences and we've got brains and we can think for ourselves without the local newspaper telling us what to think. I'm sorry, but it's not good enough. And frankly, yeah, it's really annoying. And I think, look, Steve Bruce may well be a nice guy. And that's, of course, why he has so many defenders in the media. But I'm sorry. Coming out with stuff like that is extremely poor. I own up to it. Take some responsibility. It's just deflecting the, the, the whole question and turning it away from him. 
it's an excuse. Yeah, and honestly, you were incredibly lucky to still be in a job. You should have gone last season, midway through last season. And frankly, I think the way we've started, you're lucky to still be in it. Though, of course, as we know, it's going to get a lot worse, or it'll have to get a lot worse, if it even can, before Mike Ashley will even consider pulling the trigger. So, yeah, that that annoyed me. And then to to compound the negativity, (laughs) uh, Callum Wilson, of course, missed the game on Saturday, uh, picked up that thigh injury uh, at Southampton before the international break. And yeah, obviously he was missing missing on Saturday. The club haven't given a time frame for his for his return. Uh unknown if he'll be back in time to play Leeds on Friday. And I have to say, it's worrying. I mean, we've been there before with Callum Wilson. I mean, great player that he is. We do know that he is a bit injury prone. And without wanting to completely retread last week, it's why we know that maybe not signing another striker and then letting Andy Carroll go. Maybe not the best of ideas because we have very little depth up front. Exactly. And I know it's a shame also because Arsenal are ahead of you in the table. They now have two points. However, their goal difference is one worse. So, you you know... Three points, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yes, they they did. Sorry, I was was accidentally looking at Leeds. My dyslexia kicked in there and my eyes were... Incredibly (laughs) convincing 1-0 win over over Norwich. It It was excellent. However, they still have a worse goal difference than you. Um, and the only people who are worse than Arsenal are Norwich with minus 10. So you are, you know, flirting with the bottom. Yeah, well, 19th place. After four you're... games, one point, And another difficult game coming up on Friday in Leeds United. I mean, they are 70s. They aren't doing great. No, I mean, they've not had some brilliant results so far. Draws with Everton and Burnley and pretty comprehensive defeats to Man United and Liverpool. So, yeah, they've not had a great start to the season. I think you could argue that it's a, becoming a bit of a must-win game for both sides, but at least in Leeds' defence, unlike ours, they've definitely had a more difficult start than we have, uh, fixture-wise. And I have to say, I am quite worried because we lost them twice last season. 2-1 at St James's Park. And then, of course, well, frankly, we were thumped 5-2 at their place. Now, we are playing at St. James's Park this time around, so I'm more confident than, than I would be than if we were at Elland Road. <laughs> but I have to say, I'm I'm a bit concerned about this one. Yeah, I think it's going to be a tough match. I say Leeds have everything to play for as well at the moment. So, unfortunately, I think I'd probably put money on Leeds purely because I feel they could probably put it out of the bag a bit more. Yeah, well, especially with us not having... Callum Wilson, well, at the time of recording, we don't know if he'll be playing, but I have to assume he, he's probably not going to. The, the lack of return date is a concern. I mean, you'd hope it's short, but I have a feeling it, it, it might be in a niggling one that will last for most of the season, so it'll be on and off, which, again, as I say, is upsetting. Yeah, so, we yeah, we need to get some points on the board. Well, yes, yeah. But I, I do worry for us, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, if Wilson can come back, I think that'll definitely boost us. But again, how fit he'll be, if he, even if he can come back, is anyone's guess. Um, but yeah, we need to start getting some wins fast. Um, so we'll have to see, see how we got on, basically, on Friday night. Yeah, fingers crossed, as always. 
But now we've actually come to a slightly more positive part of the show. <gasps> <laughs> Sorry, I have to just say, listeners, actually, just uh, while I'm on this train of thought, we don't want the podcast to be constant negativity. Unfortunately, our job is kind of just to report on Newcastle. And unfortunately, the last couple of seasons... You don't get much to work with, do you? They've yeah. not given us a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of choice. I try. Every, we try every now and then. We come across with, with a slight positive. Yeah, but I mean, we're not miracle workers. No, there's, there's not much <laughs> of a... I mean, unless you're just going to lie. Maybe next... I think maybe... Uh, Next, and uh, game, Newcastle have beaten Leeds 8-0. Great performance. Yeah, and we'll just end the podcast then. Yeah, no one will be the one. Exactly. Unless, you know, they're actually fall for point any other capacity than this podcast. Yeah. But anyway... Obviously not. <laughs> wait, other forms of football media out there? Not, no. Not no. That'd be a ramble, wouldn't it? <laughs> other podcasts are available. Please don't listen to them. <laughs> but no, we're going to re- revisit our Newcastle as... All-time 11, uh, and this time, because we had our, added our wide players last week, we are on to our central midfielders this week. Indeed. And actually, sort of speaking of Leeds, we've got someone who's a bit of a Leeds legend as well as a Newcastle legend, the one and only and the late great Gary Speed, I have to say. I thought we planned this. <laughs> oh, do you not plan all the segues in advance? I mean, I do, but then you cut them out. I think they're brilliant. <laughs> All this gold wood you're missing. <laughs> yeah, Gary Speed, um, a wonderful player, as I'm sure you remember, listeners. Uh, but just as a reminder of some of his numbers and, and what he was like, if you're not as familiar with him. Uh, I mean, 40 goals in 285 appearances between 97 and 2004. Not a bad record for a central midfielder, I have no. to say. Yeah, great left foot. Yeah, and great with his head as well. Like, it's not a quality that you always expect from a central midfielder. But honestly, great in the air. A lot of goals with his head. Always a threat when we had a corner. Um, but yeah, just, you know, hard-working midfielder, but also a very creative one. Got a lot of assists as well. You know, with just such incisive passing. Um, and I think the, you know, great player... Uh, committed to the cause as well. I mean, he, he was basically the beating heart of that Newcastle team from mm. from the middle of the pitch. Yeah, great leader. But I have to say, I, th- I think on top of that, don't get me wrong, absolutely phenomenal player, but uh, I think probably the other reason why I've gone ahead and stuck him in here, because again, there was a lot of competition in midfield, was the fact that he was so beloved by, not only by the fans, but also by his teammates as well. An absolute gentleman, um, someone I had a huge amount of time for and, and someone who was definitely one of my biggest sporting heroes growing up. Uh, I mean, I don't think anyone ever had a bad word to say about him. And, of course, after he retired, he, he had that promising coaching career, was doing a great job with Wales. And then, of course, he, he tragically uh, took his own life in 2011. I can still remember... The day that that happened, uh, my housemate came and told me. He was also a Newcastle fan. And he came and told me what had happened. I couldn't believe him. And I was at university at the time. And I just remember going into uni that day and just being completely just sort of despondent all day because it was such such sad news. Um, and I have to say, I'm getting quite emotional now just talking about it. He was one of my favourite players uh, during his time at the club. Played for a lot of clubs, but Newcastle were definitely one that... Uh, that he had a big impact on as he did at Leeds and as he did at Everton and Bolton as well. But, um, 
yeah, a great player and and a, and a great man. I think it's fair to say. I mean, the, the reaction that you saw at the time of his passing from the likes of Alan Shearer and Shea Given, and just how devastated everyone around the club and, and his former teammates were. I think is is testament to the kind of man that he was. And as I say, on top of that, an absolutely phenomenal player and, and I think thoroughly deserving of his place in, in the team. Um, and then... Beardsley! Peter, Peter Beardsley. <laughs> as our a sort of more attacking midfield playmaker. Uh, what, a, what a little genius on the ball. Like, that, this, this foot tall... Messy height. But, yeah. Smaller. Oh, he's a... Well, he... I don't know how exactly how his sort of sight, um, his height stacks up with Messi's, but what a, what a little player! <laughs> Just absolute dynamite on the ball. 119 goals uh, for the club uh, over his two spells. Of course, that was either side of his time at Liverpool and Everton. I know he's often remembered just as much for his time at Liverpool, but again, an absolute Newcastle legend. Um, played, of course, for us. Uh, between 1983 and 1987, and then again in 1993 and 1997. So some nice symmetry there. And uh, another thing that I like actually is, and uh, it shows the way sort of football came along in that sort of uh, decade, was that when we first signed him, it was for 150,000. And then uh, I said we sold him in 87. And then when we re signed him six years later, we bought him back for 1.5 million. So literally for 10 times what we initially signed him for the first time. It shows you the way football was going and we, of course, know how it's ended up. Uh, a lot of assists as well. And I thought, you know, just a, a top sort of player to have behind uh, our strikers in our hypothetical all-time 11. Yeah, I feel I feel bad for, you know, pe- people who were born in 2000s and that. They'd been too young to see some of these players in action and, We've seen in you know from about two thousand and seven how oh my, how it kind of didn't exactly continue in this vein. So yeah, we, we, you've got the shout outs to, to Gascoigne, Kabai, and, and Rob Lee, all of which have been excellent midfielders. But you just kind of feel bad. Not not everybody in this newer generation. I think sometimes when I talk about newer generation in my profession, I, I mean to talk about people who were literally born in like. 2009 <laughs> um they don't really understand yeah I, mean, I, I think i think without wanting to get too much back into the mic thing, i think it does kind of show another sort of unexpected impact that that you know maybe isn't often talked about when people do talk about the many many negative things that have, mm. have befallen the club under his ownership but one that i think doesn't always get mentioned is the fact that you know, but when when we've been coming up with uh, this all time eleven is, I mean, there's been a shout out here and there to Colaccini, to Kabai here, who was a, a fantastic player as well. But they never stick but around. There's, there's been very few in the Mike Ashley era who that you could arguably say is a club legend. Yeah. And I think because we've just haven't had, we've just had sort of fleeting, you know, sort of straws to grasp at. Of, of players who who are great players, but for one reason or that, as you said, they haven't stuck around, they've been sold, whatever it may be, or they're just not allowed to shine as they could in a better team. Because well, I mean, it's like Juan Alden. 
yeah, I mean, I I was over the moon when we signed Jeannie Wijnaldum, and you know we had the sort of great one or I can't, I can't it honestly it might have even been one season, maybe two, and then of course then we went down, not really his fault, you know, and of course then of course he gets poached by Liverpool and we'll never see him again, so it's <laughs> which is upsetting. And I think that's, yeah, it's one of those consequences of, you know, until Ashley's gone. You'll always be a feeder club now. Uh, w- the chances of any player in this era really cementing themselves as a sort of club legend on the same par as a Peter Beardsley, a Gary Speed, an Alan Shearer, I mean, take your pick from any club legend. Like, it's just so much harder these days. And a big part of that is the fact that we're never really going to go anywhere under Mike Ashley. Uh, as you say, big shout-outs to Gaza, of course. I mean, it was a tough one between him and Peter Beardsley because, I mean, while, well, <laughs> same with Peter Beardsley, I mean, Carr and I are really sort of too young to have seen that much of them and certainly uh, their primes. Uh, but, you know, another absolutely incredibly talented player. We all know just how talented Gaza was. I mean, arguably the most skillful English player who's ever played the game. And then, of course, our dreamboat, Johan Kabai, or my dreamboat. Yeah, don't say our, because we all know he's yours. My dreamboat, and yours, isn't it? Uh, Kabai, some great memories of him in the team, that free kick it against Man United, (laughs) just well with that. You just love his hair. Again, Rob Lee, great player for Newcastle back in the day. Uh, Key part of the entertainers as well. You know, Lots of uh, talent there, but as I say, I've in the end we've gone with Peter Beardsley and Gary Speed, who again I think uh, both represented the the shirt with absolute distinction uh, and no small shortage of talent either. Um, so our Newcastle all time eleven really coming along now. Yep, we've just literally got the two strikers left to go. I know, but we haven't. Obviously, the listeners have no idea who they could be. Absolutely no clue. Because you've clearly, clearly, and just, just to make you aware, everybody, this is sarcasm, you've clearly never had any decent strikers ever. No, we're definitely not a club that have famously had lots and lots of good strikers over the years. We're scraping the barrel. I definitely don't have the Premier League's all-time greatest striker. I mean, we do know Joblington's going to be there as well. Oh, that's what I'm talking about. As, oh, yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, sorry. I was just making it feel like yeah, All-time Premier League great Joblington. Yeah. <laughs> I feel really bad. I'm sorry, Jorrington. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> so, sorry, we have the manager of uh, Kevin Keegan, goalkeeper of Shay Gibbon. You do defend as Chris Farm. Yep, so we've got Bill McCracken at right back. We've got Frank Hudspeth at left back. We've got Bobby Monker in centre-back. And partnering him in the defence is Philippe Albert. Midfielders then, we have Nobby as uh, right wing, Waddle as left wing, Speed is centre mid and Beardsley as centre attacking midfield. And as I say, yeah, we will get on to the strikers next time. Yep. Uh, until then, if you could please give the podcast a like and subscribe and leave us a positive review, that would be absolutely fantastic. And until next time, this has been Magpie is Unrestricted and I've been your host, Chris Simpson. Thanks again, Cara. No problem, Al. And thank you, listeners. Bye. Bye. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts.